Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. <laughs> this is Jeanne Chimpaye and her kids. We're at her cosy home restaurant in the small Burundian village of Ruhagarika. It's a beautiful sunny day and Jeanne is serving food in a large yard outside the house. Her five children are excited, they've never tried sorghum before, and they're busy arguing over whose plate is bigger. I've prepared two dishes that you eat together. Beans and white sorghum marinated with onions, celery, bell pepper and olive oil. Until the fall of the Burundi monarchy in 1966, sorghum, or great millet, was a venerated grain that symbolized royal power. It came in many different colors, shapes and tastes, from sweet white to bitter red. It dominated the kitchens. Perfectly adapted to local climate and extremely nutritious, this grain was especially important during the lean season. But today it's almost completely replaced by rice and maize, which were introduced by German and Belgian colonizers. These dishes are really good. I'm serving sorghum to both my clients and my kids now. These days, while Burundians still use sorghum to produce traditional beverages, most people don't know it's actually edible. But this could be set to change. Issues like the climate crisis and conflicts like the war in Ukraine are sending food prices soaring across Africa and focusing minds on the importance of food sovereignty. It means that sorghum lovers like Jeanne could soon see this sprout-resistant grain reappear on plates. So you'd eat sorghum every day? You know what? I'd cook it in the restaurant. Mm. I'm Takumbo Sawako, and you're listening to The Star Ingredient, a Euronews Culture original series that will immerse you in a forgotten world of flavor. This show will take you to meet the chefs and local communities who are on a mission to rediscover traditional ingredients, all while sharing delicious recipes and flavors. Africa has more indigenous grains than any other continent, but food security here depends heavily on the same three crops – often imported that rule diets the world over – wheat, rice and maize. And when a crisis like the war in Ukraine threatens global food supply, these underutilized local crops can help foster resilience. Today we want to introduce you to sorghum, this episode's star ingredient, and learn two new recipes – one for ikiyama, a highly nutritious Burundian soft drink, and another for impeke – an iconic low-alcohol Burundian craft beer. In big European cities like London or Paris, sorghum is typically found in health food shops or those catering to African communities. Our sorghum story begins in Ruhagarika, a Burundian village that lies close to the border with the Democratic Republic of Congo. Located around 60 kilometers northwest of the capital Bujumbura, its small population mostly relies on livestock and farming of cassava and maize. 
We're here to meet a woman who discovered this grain when she was far from home. We'll hear how it helped her through an especially difficult time in her life, and then many times over. My name is Jeanne Chimpai. I live in the village of Ruhagarika in the Chibitoke province. On the 2nd Avenue, I was born in this same village in 1982. My father was a cow farmer. We drank enough milk, we ate plenty. We didn't want for clothes. My parents worked a lot in the fields to provide for us. Jeanne has fond memories of her childhood up until the point that a political crisis disrupted her life. One day we heard gunshots. It was 1994. There was a war over what I don't know. We were living in the same commune of Buganda in Chibitoke. Everyone was on alert. I saw people fleeing to the DRC and I started to run with the others. Just like in neighboring Rwanda, an old conflict was flaring up between the Tutsi and Hutu populations. In Burundi, the instability led to a coup d'etat and a protracted civil war. The conflict ended in 2005 when the two sides signed a peace agreement. Back in 1993, many were forced to flee, just like Jeanne and her family. We ran to the Rosizi River and got on boats that took us across Lake Tanganyika to the DRC. I've lived with my family, my mother, my father and my brothers and sisters. Eventually, they reached a refugee camp in the Democratic Republic of Congo. We lived in a refugee camp for the whole year in 1994. Life was really hard. The UNHCR gave us some food to survive. That's the UN Refugee Agency. We went to work in fields controlled by the DRC military to try and make a living. It was here in a refugee camp in a foreign land that Jeanne tried sorghum for the first time. Unlike some of her compatriots, she'd never encountered this cereal before. In the refugee camp that took us in, we ate sorghum, sometimes mixed with beans, sometimes with peas. Basically, we cooked it as we wanted, but it was good. Life at the refugee camp was difficult, but it was where Jian learned an important lesson that would become a recurring theme in her life. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Or in this case, Ikiyama and Impeke, a non-alcoholic sorghum beverage and its slightly alcoholic sibling. I was 14 years old, I think. Yes, 14 years old exactly. A young Burundian girl that I met in this camp taught me how to make ikiyama. She's still alive, actually, and she's just become a grandmother. As for Mpeke, I learned making it from Rwandan women with whom we were in exile. They fled Rwanda around the same time we did. Preparing these drinks was labour-intensive. At the time, we had to grind sorghum with our hands using a pestle and mortar. There were no machines to do it. Burundians call Ikiyama and Impeke sorghum beer, but it has little to do with European ales and lagers. Impeke is brown in colour and very dense. It's a fermented drink that is acidic and bitter, so some people like to soften it with honey. Ikiyama is lighter and sweeter. Even though I was a refugee, I was fighting to earn money. I made sorghum beers for sale and I could cover my basic needs. I was able to buy clothes and shoes. I was barely 15 at the time. 
But then tensions began to flare up between the region's different ethnic groups. It was no longer safe for Jeanne and her family to stay in the refugee camp. We fled Congo the same way we fled Burundi. Back in Burundi, Jeanne and her family found themselves in another camp, this time for the internally displaced. In the background, the civil war raged on, but so too did their lives. We got our old houses back in 98, three years later. Five years after Jeanne was forced to leave Ruha Garika, she returned to the village where she was born. And to rebuild her life there, she had to remember the lessons she'd learnt in the DRC. But this time, she had a trump card up her sleeve, sorghum. Just like maize, sorghum is a tall grass with small kernels, rich in vitamins and minerals like magnesium, potassium, phosphorus, iron and zinc, the plant sprouts just three days after planting. Sorghum meant a lot to us in the old days. I remember a man from here, unfortunately deceased now, who got rich growing sorghum and managed to buy a motorcycle from this business. At the time, having a motorcycle in a rural area was a huge luxury. This is Barnabé Rugwan Yeneza. Barnabé lives in Rugombo, the capital of the same province as Jian. He spent all of his life in this village, and everyone here calls him Envieu, an old man in French. I was baptised in 1944 when I was small, but I don't remember exactly how old I am. The Burundian monarchy was preserved under European colonial rule and lasted up until 1966, and at the time sorghum was one of the symbols of the royal family and wealth. There was even a local superstition that a royal baby born with sorghum seeds in its hands would become the future king of Burundi. In royal times, every year, the king celebrated Umuganuro, the festival during which he blessed and distributed sorghum seeds to people so that they could plant them. It was a big party. People would dance to the rhythm of the drums. At the end, everyone went home with a handful of sorghum from the king, which they mixed with their own sorghum to sow. Sorghum was the primary cereal in the country and a staple food, a key ingredient for fermented beverages, porridges and dough. Sorghum craft beer in Peke held a special meaning during celebrations. After harvest, the sorghum was stored in granaries to be distributed to the population during famine. Yes, in the old days, sorghum was a sacred symbol. But as time passed, the primacy of sorghum and its production drastically declined. Burundi was part of the German colonial empire from the late 19th century. After World War I, it came under the rule of the Belgians who backed the Burundian royal family ethnic Tutsis to maintain control over the territory. This caused great consternation amongst the less wealthy Hutu majority. In the early 60s, Burundi became a constitutional monarchy which failed to bring political stability to the country. Finally, in 1966, the last king of Burundi, Mwambutsa Bangirichenge, abolished the monarchy following the assassination of his son, Prince Louis Wagasore. Since the 1970s, maize and rice came to replace sorghum. But according to Esperance Habindave, a sorghum researcher at the Institute of Agronomic Sciences of Burundi, this cereal is still ingrained in the Burundian cultural identity.
It was a symbolic crop that legitimized the Burundian leadership. But nowadays, it's an important crop at the social level, especially in rural areas where sorghum beer is produced for weddings, for parties, for many social occasions. Traditionally, guests gather around a big jar full of impeke and together dip their straws into the dense beverage to symbolize their unity. Sorghum holds another importance for Burundi. It's one of the crops that can help improve food security. Sorghum is one of the drought-resistant crops. Unlike maize, sorghum isn't affected as much. That's one good point. Burundi is a landlocked country in East Africa. With a population of 12 million people, in 2021 it had the world's lowest GDP per capita, According to the World Food Programme, 52% of children under five have stunted growth and many people in rural communities experience malnutrition. A second point is that sorghum contributes a lot to reducing malnutrition among children and especially among women. It contains phosphorus, it contains iron. These are elements that play a major role in combating malnutrition in Burundi. Burundi is very much behind other sorghum producers in the region like Nigeria, Ethiopia or Sudan. For example, white sorghum here is at 3,000 kilos per hectare. The other zones in other countries are at eight tonnes. There's a long way to go. One of the main reasons, she says, is that farmers aren't very familiar with modern methods of sorghum cultivation. For example, there are ways of preparing the soil that sorghum producers haven't mastered yet. Then there's the sowing. When to sow the seeds, where to grow them. There's a lot of things that you need to know to be able to produce effectively. In the year 2000, Jeanne married Jacques Nbona, a man she met at the refugee camp in the DRC. The new family started building their house and Jeanne worked the land just as her parents had done before her. Unlike them, she was growing sorghum. I started growing sorghum when I was 18 years old with my sweetheart my late husband, back when we were engaged. I would grow the sorghum and prepare impeke and ikiyama at the same time. I used to bring the drinks to the market and sell them. It was good business. As time passed, the family grew in tandem with the family business. But in 2012, Jeanne's life changed once again. This time, politics had nothing to do with it. I had just given birth to my fifth child, and I had some postpartum complications. My belly was swollen. X-rays showed that I had a liver problem. Since then and still today, I can't do any heavy tasks. She couldn't work on the land anymore. Since I could no longer farm, I wondered how my family would live. So I opened this little restaurant to sell food. Starting a new business is never easy, but it wasn't Jeanne's first time. I had to put up posters on the wall and cook outside to show that there was a restaurant, to attract customers. Little by little, the customers started trickling in. The business was growing. Then, tragedy struck again. Unfortunately, my husband passed away in December 2017. I am left alone with my children four boys and a girl. 
My husband's death was unexpected. He wasn't sick. He was preparing for a trip, quietly waiting for me to bring him a meal. When he stood up, he fainted and never woke up. Now a widow with five children, Jan relies on her village community to keep the restaurant afloat. Sometimes I have to ask my friends for money to be able to work every day. Fortunately, I am sociable. People trust me and lend me money easily. One day in 2021, the villagers came looking for Jeanne. An agronomist from the Pan-African NGO Inades Formations was looking for restaurant owners. He was organising a seminar on the use of indigenous ingredients. We were taught how to prepare bean donuts, bean porridge and white sorghum. Inades encouraged us to cook these dishes in our restaurants. The training made her fall in love with her favourite grain all over again. These seminars opened my eyes and encouraged me to continue cooking sorghum. It also showed me the importance of growing and processing it. I'm convinced that I cannot stop making impeke because this drink is valuable and important to Burundian culture. Training restaurant owners like Jeanne was just one element of the plan to revive sorghum production in this part of Burundi. Inades went on to encourage farmers to return to growing local crops and using traditional farming methods. Here's Odas Indukumana, the director of the program. Instead of so-called conventional agriculture, we are practicing agroecology. It means an agriculture that uses, as much as possible, natural processes and local organic products that don't cause damage to nature or human health. There are many advantages. The first advantage is that each crop season, our farmers do not need any help from the outside. Most of the seeds for commercially valuable mass-produced grains like maize or rice come from a handful of companies that encourage the farmers to plant monocrops. It means that to achieve higher yields, the producers use their fields to grow just one plant year after year. This practice strips the land of nutrients and forces farmers to use chemical fertilizers. Growing only the most marketable cereals also means that underutilized crops like sorghum disappear. Among the plants that we're putting forward in Burundi are sorghum and beans. Why these crops? Because they are very important. If you focus on sorghum, sorghum is very important from the food point of view, from an economic point of view, but from a socio-cultural point of view. Another challenge to reintroducing sorghum is climate change. The climate has changed completely. We used to have long cycle varieties that would take five to six months to harvest, but these varieties can no longer be grown in the region. Neither in Chibutoke, neither in Corundo, because the rainy season there only lasts for a few months. That's where investing in faster-growing varieties could be of help. We advise our accompanied communities to look for new short-cycle varieties so that they can be harvested and consumed in just three months. Farmers are learning to produce sorghum in two Burundian regions, Chibitoke and Corundo. In Chibitoke, where Jeanne lives, Inades is working with more than 300 farmers and restaurant owners. Since 2018, the production rates of sorghum among the farmers taking part in the program have gone from 300 to 500 kilos per season per household.
Our journalist Clarice Shacker is at Jean's home restaurant to learn how to make the ancestral sorghum beverages. Today I'm going to make two drinks, ikiyama and impeke. First, mix some sorghum and roasted maize flour. For one kilo of sorghum flour, use around 80 grams of maize flour pre-roasted on a hot pan. You have to boil some water. If you have, say, 20 kilos of flour, you need to boil three litres of water. So for one kilo, you'll need around 100 millilitres of boiling water. Then you mix the sorghum flour with half the amount of cassava flour. When the water is boiling, pour it into this flour and mix it well, as if you were making dough. Add more water. Add a little bit of water until the product is well mixed. Then you have to add more water so that it takes the form of a mush. Finally, you take a very small amount of sorghum flour and put it on top. This is the end of the preparation. You keep the mixture for a couple of days, about 48 hours. This fermented mixture is the basis for both impeke and ikiyama. So the difference between impeke and ikiyama is the amount of water that is added at the end of the preparation. Impeke is more concentrated than ikiyama. Jeanne has already prepared some of the mixture. We'll start with impeke. I pour the boiled water into the flour that I've kneaded with the water before. I mix it using my hand. Mix well. The impeke shouldn't be too liquidy. It has to be concentrated. If I want my impeke to be alcoholic, I would add half a bottle of beer and a handful of flour on top. You can use any beer. Now that I'm finished preparing impeke, I close the seal well, keep it, and tomorrow the drink will be ready. Put it in a warm place to facilitate fermentation. To prepare ikiyama, add sugar to the base and double the amount of water. Ikiyama is a very good drink, which quenches thirst to the same level as water. When you drink ikiyama, you feel that you are not thirsty for other drinks. It's light, sweet, it smells good. If you get used to drinking it, you can't crave other local drinks like banana beer. Ikiyama tastes like soda. It doesn't get you drunk because it's not alcoholic. Jeanne says she's proud to be one of the few people in Burundi making sorghum beers in Peke and Ikiyama. In the future, she wants more people to use this grain. This business has a lot of potential. It's the means that are lacking. If I have other people to partner with to prepare these sorghum foods, it would be great because there is strength in numbers. We could grow this business. But the real goal is to inspire people to start cooking with sorghum, so from time to time she makes sorghum dishes. I cook sorghum, although not every day because sorghum is expensive. And many people here are not too used to sorghum dishes. So if I cook it all the time, I'll be losing money. I've got to get them used to this new food step by step. Step one. I have to make sure that I cook the sorghum carefully. Add in a lot of ingredients, oil. You have to spice it up with onions, garlic, celery, chili, etc. to give the dish a smell. A lot of smell. There's another spice, rumari, which you put in the beans. You'd be able to smell it even 100 metres away. This is the smell that attracts the customers. And her customers seem to be remembering the taste of sorghum dishes too. 
It's good. It's dense. It's dense. The last time I ate sorghum food, I was very small. I am back to this food. We used to eat this when we were in the DRC. Very few people are used to eating this here in Burundi. Jeanne knows that every small gesture to revive sorghum in her home country counts. She feels she owes it to the ancestral grain that helped her in a faraway land and has been there for other Burundians in need for centuries. So she'll keep serving sorghum to her customers. When they finish eating, I take the time to say thank you, come back soon, and not alone. Bring others to taste my cuisine. The Star Ingredient podcast is created by food lovers at Euronews Culture for those with curious taste buds around the world. I'm your host, Takumbo Silako, and this series is written and produced by my colleagues Naira Davlashian, Ashling Nikulan, and Marta Rodriguez-Martinez in Lyon, France, with original reporting by Clarice Shaka in Bujumbura, Burundi. Our consulting editor is Catalina Mai in Santiago de Chile, and our solution journalism consultant is Michel Fouin in Paris, France. The theme music is by Andy Rabini. Sound mixing for this episode is by Hugo Pouillard. Our production coordinator is Louise Lehec, and our editor-in-chief is Patrick Heri. You can listen to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you normally get your podcasts. For more information on The Star Ingredient, go to our website, euronews.com. And are you a French speaker? You can find a version of this podcast in French called La Surprise du Chef. Looking for something else to listen to? Check out another Euronews podcast called Ocean Calls that's tackling the issues making waves on our blue planet. The podcast, The Star Ingredient, was funded by the European Journalism Centre through the Solutions Journalism Accelerator. This fund is supported by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.